welcome to another episode of Intelligence for Your Life, the podcast. I'm Gib Gerard, all alone today, still in quarantine. So, uh, yeah, uh, so I'm I'm by myself. The guest on the show today is one Harriet Tinka. She is the co-author of The Secrets to Living a Fantastic Life. Now, you may remember that we had her other co-author on earlier, uh, a couple weeks ago. It was um, Dr. Alan Laika. Uh, they went. We, we with him. We went through all of the pearls that are available in the secrets to living a fantastic life. You should. Uh, you can go ahead and check out that interview if you like. You don't need to have heard it to get something out of this one. Harriet has an amazing story. It is similar in that she had a brush with death and got a lot of perspective out of her brush with death. Uh, and and she shares that wisdom that with with you guys in this interview. So it is really. Really good to hear how she has turned her life into one that is others focused. How you can uh, how you can learn from her from her pretty traumatic story. To that end, I want to give a word of warning to everybody who is listening right now. Her story is a violent one, and if you are easily triggered or you are sensitive to that kind of thing, or you're listening with small children who might be easily triggered or sensitive to that kind of thing, uh, please uh, maybe skip the interview portion of this show uh, or skip this episode altogether, just because it is. It is a real story, and it is it can be a, a little difficult for you. So that's coming up in a minute. Uh, also, want to thank real fast our sh- uh, shout out to our sponsors. Uh, our sponsor is Rocket Mortgage from Quicken Loans, and here actually here is John with a word from Rocket Mortgage from Quicken Loans. Home today is so much more than it was yesterday, but at Rocket Mortgage, home is still all about you. During these challenging times, the top priority at Rocket Mortgage is the health and safety of the communities they serve. And one thing that will never change is their team's commitment to giving you the best mortgage experience possible. That's why, if you need mortgage support, their team of experts is there to answer questions and offer solutions. They understand that hardships happen, and they are here to help. Whether that means working with you to save money on your mortgage or finding a new way to navigate payments. If you have questions, the team at Rocket Mortgage has answers. They know how important your home is to you because you're important to them. If you need mortgage assistance, the home loan experts at Rocket Mortgage are available to help 24 hours a day, seven days a week. From their home to yours, the team at Rocket Mortgage is with you. Visit rocketmortgage.com slash Tesh to learn more. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender licensed in all 50 states. NMLSconsumeraccess.org number 3030. Once again, quick thank you to Rocket Mortgage from Quicken Loans. Thank you guys so much for making today possible. Uh, before we get to the interview, I want to give you guys a couple quick pieces of intelligence you can take with you. First off, IKEA may be the latest place to offer meat-free options to vegetarians and vegans. They have the Swedish meatballs, uh, and they have now have a plant-based meatball alternative. It's going to be yellow pea protein, oats, potatoes, onion, and apple. According to the press release, it looks and tastes just like meat. You'll be able to get IKEA's meatless meatballs starting in late September. And if you like what you taste, you can buy a package of frozen meatballs while you're there uh, and take take them home with you. Now, you guys may not know this. I happen to love the cafeteria section of IKEA, but it is like one of the most popular chain restaurants in the world by total volume of food. I don't know if you guys are aware of that. It is a very... Uh, everybody that goes to Ikea usually gets a little snack at the end of their labyrinthine shopping process. It's a huge restaurant, so this is actually a big deal that they're coming up with an, a plant-based alternative. So kudos to, or good good for you, all you vegetarians who are now going to have an option there. Uh, also, this is really important for all of us who are living the uh, quarantine life, wearing elastic pants all the time. If you want to get out of your comfort zone mentally, wear something slightly uncomfortable physically. According to research from Columbia University, we're better at generating and executing ideas when we're wearing more formal clothing as opposed to sweats and t-shirts. Uh-oh. 
The experts say when we're wearing clothing that makes us slightly uncomfortable, like blazers, fitted pants, it literally forces you out of your comfort zone, which improves abstract cognitive processing. So you come up with more out-of-the-box ideas, and when you need to get creative on a project, you wear more formal and restrictive clothing, you will be more creative. I, I think, uh, first of all, have not worn any fitted clothing in about three months, so that's embarrassing. Secondly, I think this is why all like the creative types always wear skinny jeans because skinny jeans are incredibly uncomfortable. So whenever you see like in a movie or, or if you ever walk into like an ad agency, the creatives, they're always wearing the skinny jeans. This is why. They're cheating. They're using their clothes to get them the good ideas. They're not actually that creative. They're not actually that interesting. They just wear uncomfortable clothing. You can be the next Steve Jobs. Wear a turtleneck. That was the key. The turtleneck was restrictive. That's why he was always thinking outside of the box. Oh, we just solved it. All right. Uh, that's enough of that. Here we go. Folks, Harriet Tinka. Uh, this, is, this is a great interview, and I'm excited for you guys to get all of the wisdom that she has to offer. She's an amazing person. Uh, fashion model. She's an inspiration. She runs courses for to empower young girls. Uh, she's just uh, amazing story, and I and I hope that it is is it is as inspiring to you as it was to me. So here you go. Here is my interview with Harriet Tinka. Harriet Tinka, co-author of Living a Fantastic Life, uh, Secrets to Living a Fantastic Life. Life, excuse me. Uh, thank you so much for being a part of the show today. Oh, thank you for the opportunity. I'm really excited to be having a dialogue with you. So we had we had Dr. Laika on, your co-author for the book, uh, n- not too long ago, and he uh, he was he was adamant that we also talk to you. Now, what I loved what I loved about my talk with him, and what I love about your book that you guys wrote together, um, you know, how do I put this? So many people talk about how they, when they get to the end of their life, that they wish they had done things differently. So many people talk about looking at your life through the lens. I mean, some of the people that I love, the Stoics, they're looking through the life of, your, of uh, the, the, their life through the lens of knowing that they will die eventually, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 and while that seems good in theory, and while we can start to practice that in theory, you uh, and Dr. Leica both faced um, mortal danger, and you ha- you faced it, and then you took those lessons that you learned from that process to write this book. So we get what is it that the that they say that um, uh, wisdom learns from uh, your own mistakes, genius learns from the mistakes of others. We get the opportunity <laughs> to be geniuses and learn the perspective that you guys got, and 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 you in particular, uh, Harriet. So I'm uh, I'm very excited that we get to talk about this today, and uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm super pumped. So am I. <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, I guess the best way to do this is to say, let's start with, with your brush, uh, your brush with death, which is, you know, I have to warn everybody, it, it, does, it does get a little bit violent at times. So uh, just a, a word of warning for people that bef- before we get too into it. <laughs> you bet. I'll give you the PG rated yeah, version. Yeah, please, please. <laughs> All right. Uh, and I'm definitely really happy to share my story. And uh, even today, it's still surreal for me to think that I am a domestic violence survivor. Mm. And here I was, an international model, working the runways, and I was full of confidence. Mm -hmm. Yet I was a victim of a stalker. So my story really begins when I just retired from the international from the from the modeling industry per se. I had been doing it for over ten to twelve years. And then I decided I need a break. I needed a break, so I decided to go get a formal education. So it was at the university 
that I was befriended by a fellow student, having absolutely no idea that his attraction to me was some kind of a psychological trap mm. that was disguised as love that later on would end up being deadly. And I was your typical domestic, I was typical domestic violence victim. I was young, naive, and I had absolutely no idea what the signs of an of an abusive relationship was. But yet I was vulnerable enough to really trust him. Mm-hmm. Now, as I got to know him, I noticed some abusive patterns. He would yell at me, he would scream, and then hit me, and then he would apologize later on. So when he apologized, I thought, oh, great, everything's going to be okay. But this went on and on and on. He would always do the same thing over and over again. So I decided I was going to talk to the police and get some advice. Now, the police said because nothing had happened, he hadn't done anything really, per se, they couldn't do anything about it. The only thing they could do is give me a restraining order. And a restraining order is a document that really prevents the stalker from coming near you. Mm-hmm. So I decided to take it because that's the only option I had. So I took it and and there was, I, I was quite happy because I knew now he would never come near me because the police had given me this document. So it was one evening that I was busy working on a project that was due the following day. And I looked at the time, it was getting a bit late. So I said, oh, I better go home and get some rest. So the university was about five minutes from my from my from the campus where I was staying. Mm-hmm. So I walked into the elevator and I was busy looking for my keys, just not paying attention to my surrounding, got into the elevator. And all of a sudden I felt somebody grab me by the neck. So I was frozen with fear and I had a voice which was very familiar and it was him. And he said to me, Harriet, how dare you get that restraining order against me? Don't you know that I'm the only man who loves you? I have unconditional love for you. And when he said that, I started screaming and he got a bit nervous. So he took off his shoes and grabbed his socks off his feet and stuffed the sock right in my mouth just to silence me. And I couldn't say anything. So he pushed me, got me into his vehicle. And there we went off driving and we kept driving and he kept screaming and yelling and telling me how ungrateful I was. And then suddenly we ran into uh, a telephone booth. So he looked at the telephone booth because neither one of us had cell phones at the time. Mm -hmm. And he told me, get out of this vehicle and go call your parents and say goodbye to them because this will be the very, very last time that you would ever hear from me. so So he was recording this whole thing as we went. And I said, no. And he said, Harriet, I'm going to say this one more time. In the back of my vehicle, I have a rope, gasoline, and a knife. I am going to wrap your body up with a rope, cut your body in pieces. Oh, my gosh. put gasoline all over your body, and nobody will ever find you. Now, are you willing to call your parents? And I looked at him again, and I said, no. So that second no really, really upset him. So he reached out from the glove compartment and he grabbed a knife and he stabbed me two times on my left leg, really deep. And there was blood gushing everywhere, all over the the windshield. So even today, I have absolutely no idea how I got from where I was in that vehicle to the hospital. So when wow. I woke up, 
it was yeah, it was really quite frightening. When I woke up, there I was. I looked around, there was my father and the doctor, and in the waiting room, there was media and police. And the doctor told my father that the stab wound was so deep, my bones were chipped, and chances are I would never walk again. And when I had the news, I was absolutely shocked and depressed. Here I was, an international model. I'd been walking the runway full of confidence, and now I was a cripple and I was depressed. So the only thing that separated the two, the confidence and depression, was my trauma. So I started feeling sorry for myself, saying, why me? How could this happen to me? I'm a good person. You know, you go through that dialogue. And then Mm -hmm. I realized that sort of dialogue does me no good. I needed to start healing. So I started going through physio, try to learn how to walk again. I was in my crutches. I was just in a different place. So it was one afternoon. I was in the waiting room waiting to get my physio when a little girl came wheeling in on a wheelchair, so full of energy. And at that point, I didn't even want to talk to her. I was in that moment where I just want to be left alone. Don't talk to me. But she was very tenacious. She's She started talking to me and asking me why I was in the hospital and this, that, and the other. So eventually I had to share my story because she wouldn't leave me alone. <laughs> and I gave it to her in a, in a version that a little girl would be able to understand. Because she was nine years old. Her name was Amber. So when she heard my story, she said, wow, you need to really go out there and use your story to inspire the world. And at the time, I wasn't sure what she meant. She was nine years old, and she's giving me this message. What does that mean? So I asked her why she was so full of gratitude. So she told me in her family what they do every night. They would have stories, and they would always say, you you need to go share your story with the world, that sort of thing. So that's the kind of conversations they would have. But her real story was she had just been – she was one of the survivors, actually the only survivor in a car accident – with her parents, they were going to a dance recital. And unfortunately, there was a drunk driver who hit the vehicle head on. And now she was motherless, fatherless, and homeless. And yet wow. she had so much gratitude. And I asked her why she exuded such gratitude. And she said to me, well, she's lucky to be alive. Now she can just continue to live a dream that her parents wanted her to, to continue having. So when I heard her say that, I thought to myself, my story is nothing compared to to hers. But really, life is not about comparing stories. It's about what you do with your life. So at that point, I really didn't know what she meant. I was, um, what I did is um, I, I decided to, and life was about connecting the dots. So I looked back. When when um when I started getting better, I looked back at what she had said, and I decided, yes, I really need to use my life to make a difference in the world, mm. and that's what I I did, and I I met Dr. Laika along the way. That's, that's amazing. I- that's amazing. I mean, look, first of all, I'm so glad that you're obviously I'm so glad that you're still alive, and I'm I'm so glad that that little girl uh, was able to influence you and 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 help you flip the positivity around for yourself, right? They, they, this yes. idea so, and, and encourage you to use your story not as a, a, a place to say, woe is me and oh my gosh, my life is so hard, but as a place, as a jumping off point for a new life perspective. So kudos. What was her name again? Is there, Would you say Amber? Amber, yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, kudos to Amber for, for making this moment possible, right? 
Um, okay. And that has just so what I mean. I guess I guess let's let's go through the sort of the most stark differences because you had a successful life beforehand. You had this misery. How did you? What did you start to learn that helped you appreciate the life that you still have uh, as you undid the misery? I think the biggest thing is uh, my the way I was brought up by my my parents. Mm. They always said, no matter what happens, you always have to look at the brighter side of life. And we came actually immigrated from Kenya. So when we came here in Canada, we really came with absolutely nothing. There were seven of us and four suitcases. So to them, they said the most important thing is your health, your family, and everything else is just extra. So whatever you get is extra. Just worry about your health and your education. Those are things that you need to focus on. So you just need to be grateful for what happens. So when it happened to me, of course, I still I'm human. I had to go through the whole I feel sorry for myself, that victim mentality. But then I always have to reset back and realize, okay, this happened to me. What can I learn from it? So everything that comes into your life, it's there for you to learn something from from it. And people say you have children to teach them something, but we have children to teach something about yourself. They're there to teach you something about you. Maybe right. they teach you patience, <laughs> that sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, I, I think uh, there's, there's, some, there's something really built into that, which is what, I, what I've been learning more and more about, which is a growth mindset perspective. But where where when you have when you have a growth mindset, what you're always looking for and you're always looking through the lens of how can I be better today than I was yesterday? Um, and and to your point, like if, if you have your health, if you have family around you, like that's that that's that that can be everything. And if bad things happen, it just becomes about what you can learn from it. Um, my my question becomes like how when your health starts to fail, when you are in that perspective, uh, you know how how do you find the good when because I I don't think anybody. Anybody is, we're all facing a lot of hardship right now, but it, but it pales in comparison to being, to being at that place that you were when you woke up in the hospital. And so if there's a lesson that we can, that we can get from that, if there's this way of, uh, I don't want to say tricking our brain, but like a way of reframing our, our thinking from, uh, into that growth mindset that you, that you use, I mean, we won't all have uh, an Amber. Maybe you're going to be an Amber for people right now, but we won't all have that. Uh, you know, how do we start to get that? How do we start to gain that perspective? How do we start to think about things in those terms? Oh, you bet. Now, I think the biggest thing is um, you you have to find meaning in your life. For example, uh, one of the things like what's going on right now, people most people have lost jobs and that sort mm -hmm. of thing. They're going mm -hmm. through a lot of uh, difficulties. Most people would just tell them, uh, start thinking positive. Well, it's really difficult to be positive when you're going through so much. There's so much noise that seems to be so negative. Yes, positive mindset is great. But I think the biggest thing is to find meaning in your life. For example, if you're maybe a single mom, you got you are struggling, and but you have your children. So you have to find the meaning in that. Your children mean so much to you. So enjoy that moment with them, even though there's other things around you. First of all, find the meaning and passion for yourself and for you, for those around you. So for me, what, when that happened to me, it was a really difficult time to just to know that I was an international model. I was being, uh, of course, there was uh, this, uh, the modeling industry has its ups and downs, but overall, it was a good experience for yeah, you me. You get paid to travel. <laughs> you get to you yeah. take pictures. It's a, it's a lovely experience. Yeah, it's awesome. You you feel like, ooh. <laughs> and uh, and you, you think that that's uh, 
that's what you were meant to do and you do it and then all of a sudden it turns upside down you're like whoa re- reset so now you just have to go back and appreciate the little things in your life so for me I, I couldn't walk for a long time so I said okay I can't walk but I have my hands I can use my hands to eat I can use my hands to do the basic things so you start looking at the basic basic things in your life and you go out in nature and you can just appreciate nature in itself. And what I found for me was really, really interesting. I would find I'd had to go out in the just outside to just appreciate the, the little things that I can I, that I can uh, find useful for me. Like there's a strategy called five, four, three, two, one, mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. you go outside for a walk and you find five things that you can you can see. So it's basically it does focus on on your on your mind. Or the five, the senses, like five things you can see, four things you can hear, three things you can, you can smell, two things that you can touch, and then one thing you can taste. So using that strategy for me, it will always work. Every time I go outside, I say, okay, today I'm going to walk outside and I'm going to listen to maybe five things I can see. So it kind of begins to help you slowly. It's a long process. It's not going to happen overnight. But you just find little things that you can appreciate. And using the 54321 works really well. And it's actually this methodology is also used by people who who go through anxiety. Like if you have anxiety. Yeah, I think we all have anxiety right now like that. I, I honestly I'm having anxiety problems that I've never had before um, since quarantine started. Like it's it's just a reality. I think a lot of us are facing right now. So this is fantastic. Anything that helps us focus on the moment is I, I'm just such a huge fan of. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. If you've never used that method, I would really recommend you use it because it's a it's a mindful method that uh, that's very popular. It's worked really well for me. Mm. Mm-hmm. Five, four, three, two, one method. <laughs> it's called a mindful anxiety. So anybody who's going through any of those type of things, you, it's a really good tool to use. Like it really, really helps. Yeah, I, 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 I absolutely love that, um, Harriet. Let's let's start talking about. So you you have this moment with Amber. Or did you finish that? I, I I don't want to interrupt, but did you finish the the five, four, three, two, one concept? Oh yes, yeah. Okay, I will go need very quickly. Okay. Um, so you you finish this. You have this conversation with Amber. You 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 were up to that point. You're feeling sorry for yourself. You you. I'm assuming you re-galvanize your purpose that you have to show people that you can rise up from this. What does that start to look like? How do you start to put those pieces back together? From the hospital room to being a speaker and author. Yes, when I from the hospital room, it took me a long time. I would say probably about a year and a half or so. It wasn't a very easy process, and along the way, of course, I I came back to um, to Edmonton because I was three hours away. My university was three hours away, so I had to come back and be around people who really care. And I didn't really need the help because I've been one of those people so independent. I don't want anybody to help me. So it was even more difficult because I was being stubborn to begin with. Mm. And that doesn't help when you're trying to heal. So I went through that and I started getting better, better as time went on. And then all as I got better, I started walking again. And what really made a difference is the modeling agencies within Edmonton asked me to be to teach the other girls and boys how to walk how to carry themselves on the runway with all the experience that I had. So I was super excited, and I said, okay, I'm going to do it. And I started teaching these young girls mostly and boys as well. And as I was teaching them, I realized, oh, my goodness, I am sending them the worst messages because it's all. it was mostly we're focusing on how they look, how they carry right. themselves. So that's all external. 
what I thought after a long time, I realized everybody wants to feel like a model, but not everybody wants to be a model. Right. So then I started to change the dialogue. So I decided to start my own business called Empowered Me. And with that, it will be teaching young girls for the most part. That's really my core of my program. But if you're going to empower your girls, you also have to empower your boys. Right. Because they need to support that. So in the program, I decided to focus on young girls and boys as well to really show them that the beauty is within, to love themselves unconditionally. So I focus on a program called The Power of 12. So it does focus on self-esteem, communication, setting your goals. Uh, the, I call it the power of, so the power of self-esteem, the power of goal setting, the power of mean words, like uh, cruel words. Yeah. So it's all basically yeah. 12 different things that I focus on there. Uh, also diversity and inclusion, poverty. So everything has a power and everything does have an impact in your life. If you and But the, at the end of the day, self-esteem is the core of everything. If you don't have a strong self-esteem, it's difficult to really manage your time or set your goals in the way that you want. So yeah. that's what I advocate to the people who go through my program. So, so you, you, you encourage... You, you want to encourage people, and I, and I love this. Like you, you, your self esteem, and that's that's different from sort of the uh, self obsession, right? That's that's an important distinction. This idea that you you have value beyond measure inside of yourself is different from uh, I am the only thing that matters. So seeing your own inherent value is different than being self obsessed. I think that's an important one. I think that's an important distinction to make. But uh, but but two, and I think this is this is also important. I, you know, I, it seems like you fell, I see this like connection from your previous experience, your traumatic experience, and your purpose kind of all lining up for you in this way. Was it as easy as the two sentences you gave us where it was like you were doing this and all of a sudden it, it, it hit you like an epiphany that this was your purpose? Or was there was there a longer process in 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 pulling out your purpose from the sort of condition you'd found yourself in? I think um, I did. It, it took a bit of time, but not as long as I when I look back, it wasn't that long. But when I was going through it, it seemed forever. Mm-hmm. But in the back of my mind, I knew because what I really enjoyed is even when I was doing international modeling, I really enjoyed seeing people get excited in what I'm doing. Like they see me walking the runway. They love the outfit. They love what I'm doing in the fashion industry. When I was teaching the girls, they just loved how they felt at the end. So I knew my purpose was to serve others mm-hmm. and also mm-hmm. to feel good about what what they get from me so that's for me i i just feel like i knew exactly what i wanted to do and i know how to do it and i know how to help people feel great about themselves so it's, it makes me so excited i could talk about this yeah. <laughs> well then it's, it's good that we're gonna be talking about this for a while um what suggestions do you have like i, I mean i i see that that you were able to pull that purpose out of yourself right this uh, so you love the feeling and you wanted to give that feeling to others. What about, and it, I also would say, I think I want to make another, another point. You kind of had a purpose, even though your purpose changed and became a little bit deeper, you had a purpose before your event, right? You, you were a motivated individual. You were, you know, you were working this international job, this, this sort of glamour industry job. And then you took a moment off to pursue studies like that, that all of that combines to a, um, you're a very purposeful, motivated individual going into this, and yeah. I and I think you you got a little taste of what a lot of people feel with uh, with the lack of purpose for for a minute. But uh, what suggestions do you have for people that 
that maybe for them to be able to find that purpose, that why, how, like, is there a process that you can, that people can go through in order to help, uh, like Occam's razor, like help eliminate a lot of the distraction in their lives and focus primarily on that, on, on what, what motivates them the most. Oh, you bet. Um, and, uh, in the book we have, um, the, our golden pearl called purpose. So in there we, and I know you discussed with Dr. Like, it's called the Ikigai. So what I do with the students or anybody who comes to the program is we do, and Ikigai is a Japanese word for reason for being. So what I do, and they, they ask of four questions, what is it that you love to do? So what I, that's the number one question I ask the students to write down. What is it that you love to do? So it could be maybe I love playing soccer because, you know, that's what I, I enjoy. I may not be good at it. So that would determine that if you love playing soccer, it means perhaps that you'd like a career where there's a lot of competitiveness, there's that teamwork. That, so that would be an indication of that. Or if you love, let's say you like being in the art, you like going to the art gallery. So it may be like creative ideas. You want a career with that sort of thing. So everything that you love, we identify it and you find out what is it about that particular thing you love to do that makes you makes you feel like it gives you that excitement. Mm. So that's number one. What is it that you love to do? And then number two is what is it that you're good at? Maybe and sometimes it's difficult to know. You may you may you may be better off asking a few friends. Perhaps you've helped them with whatever it is. Maybe you're a good listener. You could be a psychologist, or maybe you're good with numbers, like I am. You could be an accountant. A little plug for accountants. <laughs> they need all the help they can get. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's number two. And then number three is you look around you like right now with COVID going on and uh, you this is your time to see what does the community really, really need right now? So during this time in, in this area in Edmonton, where I am, I'm noticing a lot of people need the support. They need people to talk to people to counsel them, to give them that sort of thing. Maybe that's the gap that you need to fill. If you're good at that. Mm -hmm. So that's number one. And there could be other things. Maybe the community needs people to help the seniors to bring them food, that sort of thing. So you just figure out in your community or even in the world what the community needs. And the very last thing is you need to be compensated for this love that you have. So when I go through this process, I ask the students to do what I call the part-time ikigai, which is if I just start off with the two things. What is it that you love to do and what is it that you are good at? And it's not an easy process, but if you don't know what you want, it's okay. It's okay. It's not, don't, there's no measuring stick in the world saying you have, by the time you're 30, you have to have done this. By the time you're this, you have to do this. Because I know a lot of people. Oh my gosh. Yeah. The measuring stick, the, the, the cross comparisons that we all do. I mean, you look around, that's one of the hardest things about high school reunions is that they become these, these barometers for people. And, and I think that's such a huge mistake for our psychology. Well, yes, we compare. We're like, well, I'm 30 years old and I still don't know what I want. Or I'm 20 years old. I already know I got this. I know where I'm going. So things happen when they're supposed to happen. So don't beat yourself up mm. saying I'm this mm -hmm. and I haven't done it. So the, at the end of the day is just you do what you love. And that starts off with having self-worth. So that's so important to know your self-worth. Right, right. I mean, and, and I love that you're doing that for other people. And I think a lot of us, uh, I mean, I think, you know, so selflessness is so important. And we've, we've mm -hmm. talked a lot about how, you know, helping others is really important. Um, and I, and I, I, I alluded to this before, and I think selfishness is 
um, is necessarily a bad thing. Like if you're if you're so self-absorbed that you put your needs above other people's needs, it, it is bad. However, treating yourself as well uh, as you would treat other people is really important. That you would that you would give yourself enough care uh, and 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 to know your own intrinsic value is 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 really really important. And I think I think uh, that that we I don't know I, I think as a society we we sort of we use the comparison module to determine our own like you were saying before like we use this this barometer of what we need to accomplish by a certain point to to give us our own sense of self-worth and and our self-worth is so much bigger than that and our our value is so much greater than that and i think i think we i think we have a tendency to forget that in the context of comparing ourselves to others you know Oh, you bet. I think uh, and the biggest thing is some people don't know what their self-worth is. So what I often do when they come to the program, I bring I bring like a hundred dollar bill mm-hmm. and I'll say, who wants this hundred dollar bill? Of course, we all want it. And then I'll take it again and I'll I'll take it. I'll crumble it up. I'll step on it, maybe dump a little bit of water. And then I'll say, OK, now who wants this hundred dollar bill? And everybody still wants it. And right. I ask them why. They say, well, it didn't lose its worthiness. It's still $100. So I say, it's the same thing for you. You're going to go through life where you're going to be dumped on, stepped on. What is going to be dumped on you? You will not lose your self-worth. You're still who you are. Your value doesn't change. Things will happen to you, but you're still a great person. You still have that value. So when they hear that, they realize, yes, you know what? My self-worth is still there. Even though I'm going through a lot of drama right now, I'm still going to be okay. So it helps. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't just help. It's it's fundamental. It is. Yes. Yeah, very fundamental. And, and, I, as well. and I think too, like, you know, we, we look at it, you, you, you deal with young people and I, and I think we're looking at a world right now where young people in particular, where I, I, I had the joy of being able to grow up without social media. And I think social mm-hmm. media has a lot of great things. Like I get to keep up with people from high school in a way that I wouldn't otherwise, I get to see them as parents and, and it's, it's fun. But I think, but I think going, through, I can't imagine, and, and and we all we need a lot of sympathy for the people that are for the kids that are doing this right now. I can't imagine going through high school and all of the emotional ups and downs, while also being able, while also being put on this sort of crazy level of cyberbullying and comparison to other people's lives. Like it's it, it's so much, it's so much, especially for the adolescent brain. I don't, I don't, and the 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 way that their sense of identity is forming in this process is uh i mean it's unprecedented we're going to be looking back on this time psychologists can be able to you know write papers about this for for centuries um is it, it's such a wild thing so, oh, it's just horrible yeah i feel sorry for them and they're so used to instant everything has to be instant mm-hmm. and they have to be validated by their likes like if you put an article and nobody likes it you think oh my gosh nobody really really cares about me yeah. or they have to post mm-hmm. a picture if nobody has a good comment it's, it's, it's just, I'm just, I'm the same as you. I'm so glad I didn't grow up through this era. I really do feel some kind of empathy for a lot of the students that go through what they're going through. But I feel excited too, because I can help them find tools on how to really, really go through these challenges that they go through. So what what is your advice for parents right now? I mean, I know you're you're so good at doing this and at, at empowering youth um to do this kind of thing to to find their self-worth what is your advice for parents whose kids are i don't want to say social media obsessed but whose kids are growing up in this age and maybe struggling with cyberbullying in their sense of um in their sense of themselves 
Well, it's so important. When I work with the young, with the, with the students, I don't just work on a silo. I actually work with the parents because it doesn't always make sense for me to go and empower them and give me energy and get them pumped and they go home and it's not the same. It's just right. like they're resetting uh-huh. again. So what I do, I always encourage the parents to really keep the communication open, know what your children are doing. And this is the time that they really need the support because you really don't know what's going on when they hit that social media. You need to really talk to them, just see how they're doing. If you see your your children, are, the behavior is a bit different than normal. For example, maybe all of a sudden they're saying, oh, my stomach hurts or I have a headache. I don't mm. want to go to school. Mm. That right there is a sign that they could be bullied at school. There's something going on. So you really need to keep the communication open. And the kids are really willing to talk to their parents. You'd be surprised because a lot of the time I ask the children, do you think your parents are really cool? Should you be talking to them? And they always say, yes, I just wish my parents would ask me every so often, what do you think? Because what a lot of parents do is like, oh, let's go to the mall. Let's go go through this. Instead of asking Jennifer, what would you like to do today? So it's like they talk for their children and they assume this is what the children want. So the biggest thing is they want the parents to ask them so they can feel valued and validated by their own parents. Mm. I think, like, honestly, I think there's a lot of parents whose hearts are literally breaking right now hearing that and going, oh, my gosh, I really don't check in with my kids. And and especially in adolescence, right, that's when so much of our sense of self forms. What a great time. What What an empowering thing for you to be able to lean into your children. And to tell them, you know, uh, to tell them that their voice matters in your life as much as as uh, as your life should matter in theirs, and it, it really is the start of of their own their own uh, their own sense of self, their own self esteem going forward. Um, go ahead. Oh yeah, I was just gonna say yes. It's important. And also, always compliment them. Always find them doing the right thing. Like I know sometimes the students will come home and maybe they failed an exam. So this is what I often encourage the parents to do. If they failed, just say, "Hmm, I see the genius wasn't with you today. That's okay. We'll make it happen next time." So that's all you have to say. Oh, I guess my genius wasn't with me today, but I'll do better next time. Yeah. Instead of saying, how, how come you failed and that sort of thing. Just say, well, the genius wasn't with me today, but we can figure it out. We'll do better next time. Just always talk with so much compassion. There's no sense in being angry. I've seen a lot of research from child psychologists about one is instead of admonishing bad behavior, look for the good behavior and disproportionately praise it. That that's yes. so much better for child development. And then also... Um, to praise effort and not outcome. So, you know, a lot of kids, uh, there's a, a lot of research showing that some kids, especially if in, in certain households, will go after easier classes so that they can get A's because they get praised for the A's as opposed to taking harder classes, uh, working harder, and maybe ending up with a C because you become less outcome dependent and more effort dependent in that process. You bet. Yeah, that's so true. <laughs> and also the other thing that I find is uh, also for parents, I always tell your kids you're lovable because if you tell them they're lovable, then they know it doesn't matter who comes into their right. life because they already know I'm lovable. It doesn't matter what you say, I'm lovable. Yeah. Instead of saying, oh, you're so, you, you love them because of that. So they always connect love to something. But if you just say lovable, that's the best thing you can do for them. Wow. That's, that's really great. You know, I think, uh, I, I do want to, you, uh, that's such a great place to end, but I do want to talk about, uh, one thing that is in your bio that you're an ultra marathon runner. I am. Yes. Uh, what, first of all, what is the longest race you've ever done? A hundred. Okay. I'm going to 
do the conversion because in US you do miles, we do yes. kilometers. Oh, gross. <laughs> so it's 100 miles, I should say, yeah. which is 161 kilometers. That is. So that would be a 36 hour race. That is crazy. Now, I have run uh, a couple of marathons. I believe oh. I believe distance running is one of those things that everybody should go through a phase in their life while they do, just like working a service industry job, where <laughs> because I think you learn so much about yourself in the process. Like I I'm I very often will say that after a certain point, a marathon in particular is about um, is a psychological and spiritual event and not a physical one. That after about mile eighteen for me. <laughs> It becomes just about knowing that I have the ability to put one foot in front of the other and less about my athletic ability of putting one foot in front of the other. Oh, I'm so excited. That's awesome. Yeah, I think uh, it is on my, definitely what is the naval seals say that just when you think you're done, you only you've only done 40 percent or you have 40 yeah. percent oh you have 40 percent left in you. That's what they say. So I always use that through in my mind every time I run. And the biggest thing that people ask me is when you're doing these ultra marathons, are you sleeping during the races? I'm like, absolutely not. You do not want to sleep during the run because you will not wake up. Yeah. Well, how could you? I mean, yeah, I, I can't imagine. But let me ask you this. What I, I've run marathons. When I'm done with 26.2 miles, you couldn't get me to go to 26.3 miles. So how do you... How do you psychologically prepare for for something like that? And I feel like I believe that 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 kind of distance running does have a uh, a parallel into into our working and waking life, our, our non athletic life. Um, so how you know? I guess if you could be so kind, tie that into personal motivation and uh, purpose. Oh, you bet. I think I'll, um, for me, when I'm running, like for you, I guess your cutoff is about 18 miles. And we all we all have a, our cutoff, that sort of thing. So when I'm running, I've already been training throughout the year. So I've already done the work. And I run 100 miles a week. So I'm already training every single day. And when it comes to race day, I'm ready for it. I'm ready for all the ups and downs. And I'm confident. And being confident, really, it means that uh, you're ready for failure. You're ready for rejection. You're ready for that. So, so that's what the confident uh, formula is. It, it, it involves all that. So if I run and I don't make it, because I've run some races where halfway, I was at eight, 80, 80 miles, and it was a 100-mile race, I did not finish that hurts. But I said, okay, what am I learning from it? And that is the same thing in life. You're going to prepare. You're going to work so hard. You're going to put in all you've got. And then you fail. That's disappointing. But you have to step back and say, okay, I worked hard. I prepared. But at the end of the day, what is it that I learned from it? So when you're running, it's the same mindset. You want to finish strong. And I've done races. Most of my races I have finished, but I've also had some DNF, which is did not finish. Mm -hmm. Those are the, the ones that I really go back to and I say, okay, what is it that made me fail? And I do better the next one. So the one that I did when I got to 80 miles, that one was horrible. But I know I, I knew I wasn't going to finish because I was in pain and I run barefoot. So when I do it, it's even different than the other runners. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. So I, I learned so much from it. And then the next year when I ran it, I actually finished in 22 minutes on a 36-hour race. 
You mean 20... So, wait. I mean, sorry, 22 hours, not minutes. <laughs> Let me correct myself. No, 22 hours. It's a 36-hour race. So I was able to finish within that time period. So that was really good. I did learn a lot from my failure. So failure is just lessons that you're learning. What is it that you didn't do well and you can do it better? And I know that Thomas Hedson always says it took him 999 steps to discover the, the light. So... Yeah. When you fail, just say, oh, that's lesson number one. What I love about that is that your confidence is is outcome independent, right? Like we, confidence, confidence does not come from winning everything and from always getting a yes. Confidence comes from somewhere else. And you got to find where that comes from, if it's in purpose or if it's just in your self-esteem or whatever. Uh, and then And then when you face setbacks, that confidence can carry you through that relentlessness. And I love that. Yeah, it will. Yeah, I'm always prepared for anything. Bring it on. I'm yeah. ready. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. So, Harry Tinka, thank you so much for your time today. I know I've, I've kept you for a while, and I really appreciate it. You've given us a lot to consider. Uh, I'm going to ask you a couple of things that I ask everybody. First and foremost, uh, where can people follow up with you the best? And I, I and make sure you you talk about um, make sure you talk about your your uh, empowered me uh, site. Oh, my website. Yes. So my Empowered Me website is www.empoweredme.ca. So that's where you can find the programs that I offer, all the different podcasts I've done. So that's the only place, empoweredme.ca. And then any any other way, any social media that you want to, that, that people can find you on? I do. I'm not a very good in social media. Me but either. I do. <laughs> it's really bad. But I do. I will do Facebook and I'll do um Twitter, but I'm not very good at social media. Right. I need to really, I, I need to pick it up. Links to, links to those two social platforms in the show notes, as well as to the Empowered Me website. Uh, one last thing, Harriet, and I ask it to everybody. What is one thing we can all start doing today that will make our lives a whole lot better? Oh, wow. Yes. I think uh, the biggest thing that we can all do, because uh, as me and Dr. Laika always said, it's not what happens to you, it's what you do with what happens. So you can't really change your circumstances, but you can change yourself. Now, if a doctor wants to learn about the brain, he'll study and study all about the brain. If you want to learn about happiness, you have to do your homework. You have to study and see what other people have done in who are not. I'm sure people who, leaders and all those people, they have written something about happiness. They've written something about whatever it is that you're looking for. So what I would encourage your listeners to do something different that they have that they have never they haven't been doing for the next 90 days. Maybe change your relationship with your family. Do read some books. Find different ways of uh, maybe healthy ways of eating. Anything small will make a difference. And one of the most important things that I would encourage them is just have a gratitude journal. Yeah. Write three things every single journaling is the best therapy, no matter what. And that really helped me during my healing process. Write down writing down three things you're grateful every day and every morning. And then when you're feeling yeah. down in the dumps, use that journal to remind yourself how amazing you are how grateful you are. So it's really important. So at the end of the day, just be kind to yourself. Wow. Yeah, the gratefulness journaling is one of those things that I've heard from so many different people, from happiness experts to uh, to, to people like yourself, to psychotherapists. Like It's just get, changing your brain to be more grateful and to look for things to be grateful for is such an essential part of being happier. It's unbelievable. Like you, You're not the first person to say that, and I doubt you'll be the last. And when I do it myself, it's it's fantastic. So uh, I, I know I know exactly what you mean. 
Yeah, it's the best thing. It's the best therapy. It's your own therapy because your own words and you're you're really talking to yourself. It's safe. It's your words. It's your therapy. Yeah. The book, The Secrets to Living a Fantastic Life, the guest, Harriet Tinka, link to where they buy the book, as well as to her website and a couple of social media accounts are in the show notes. Harriet, thank you so much for your time today. We really, really appreciated it. Oh, thank you for having me, Gib. I had a great time and I've listened to a lot of your podcasts and everybody really should log on and listen because the messages are valid. We all need those messages. Thanks for all you're doing. Thank you. That's it for our show today. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you like the show, please rate, comment, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. It helps us out a lot. Shout out to all the people who have been uh, posting reviews. It makes a big difference. Thank you guys so much. Uh, I, I just I genuinely appreciate it. Also, if there's somebody you think needs to hear this episode, please share it with them. That kind of thing really goes a long way in terms of, uh, of making our show successful. So thank you guys who have been with us this whole time. Really appreciate it. If you want to follow up with John, facebook.com slash John Tesh. We're there live uh, multiple times a week. So you can actually interact with us there live on, on the Facebook page. Uh, also, John is on Instagram at John Tesh underscore IFYL and on Twitter at John Tesh. I am Gib Gerard. You can find me at Facebook.com slash Gib Gerard or at Gib Gerard on Instagram and Twitter. I try to respond to every mention, every DM about the show. Uh, in fact, some of the guests that we've had are from you guys recommending them. Uh, most importantly, I do this show for you guys. So thank you so much for listening. <laughs>